So one in seven followers of Jesus face something that you and I have likely never faced in our life. And that is the topic of uh, today's message. I want you to imagine for a minute, I want you to imagine that you're in the market for a brand new car. And let's say you go to the dealer and there's a salesperson who says, let me show you the latest car and then invites you, hey, why don't you go ahead and get in and let's, uh, let's run this thing around the block a couple of times. Let's take it for a test drive. And let's say you get in the car and you begin to drive and he launches into his sales pitch, but it goes something like this. Three hours in this car and your back is going to hurt so bad that you're going to need physical therapy for a week just to be able to walk upright again. And then he says, the cost of repairs alone on this car will put my kids through college. And when you drive down the street, everybody who sees you driving this car are going to laugh hysterically. Now, you would think to yourself, this is no way to sell a car, right? How many of you would, would buy a car from him? It depends on the deal, right? That's what some of you are saying right now. Hey, listen, I'm always looking for a deal. Nobody would want to buy a car from a guy like that, and no salesperson in their right mind would ever make such a sales pitch. It sounds bizarre. Makes you wonder what Jesus had in mind when he said these words. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You're blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice. Because great is your reward in heaven, for that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, if you're with us for the very first time, we have been talking pretty much all year long about what does it look like to flourish in life? And Jesus is committed to human flourishing. He wants us to be so filled with God that we are fruitful and that we are fulfilled in life. But what's up with this statement? How does persecution and flourishing possibly go together? What does Jesus have in mind? So let's talk about this. Now, I recognize that this is an uphill climb for me, that talking about this among us as a people is going to be like trying to convince you to buy that car that the salesman was talking about. It's going to be like, I, I, I don't know. And you might be thinking to yourself, how does this apply to me in my life where I've not experienced any of this? So let's just dive in, okay? You ready? Ready to dive in in the chapel? Ready to dive in online? Here we go. Whenever you hear Jesus talking about persecution, he's talking about it both in a physical and verbal sense. The word Persecute literally means to chase down, to run after. Jesus' disciples were often chased out of one town and chased into another. It can mean, it can mean to pursue someone in the hopes that you are able to apprehend that person with the intent of either abusing them verbally or turning them over to authorities for prosecution. 
Now again, this is hard for us. Let me see if I can show you why. Whenever you think about global Christians and Christians in the United States, and you think about a continuum about how Christians are treated, are they treated worse or are they treated better? And you can think about Christians who are persecuted. You can think about places where Christianity is permitted, and you can think about Christianity where it is preferred. So when you think about Global Christians, global Christians have never gotten out of the persecution category on the grand scale. It started and it has always been persecution up and down. And to hear 360 million Christians right now are facing discrimination and persecution. You think about Christians in the United States, and I often hear Christians these days wanting to say that, well, I'm being persecuted, and I go, no, you're not. We don't really know what it's like. Yeah, we, we've experienced some little bit of persecution, but in Christianity in the United States, 65% uh, of people in our country today claim to be followers of Jesus. So Christianity in the United States is still the preferred religion, the preferred faith. But globally, Christians have been treated worse for most of the history of the church, especially since the 1900s when it started to be recorded. John Stott put it like this, persecution is simply the clash between two irreconcilable value systems. That was easy for you to say. Between two irreconcilable value systems. Jesus' kingdom has arrived. That's what he talked about in the Sermon on the Mount. The kingdom of God is here. It's not here fully, but it has showed up. It has arrived. And the arrival of the kingdom of God has brought about a clash the kingdom of Jesus clashing against the kingdoms of this world. And followers of Jesus get caught up in the clash, whether it is literal persecution that results in martyrdom and death or whether it's the verbal kinds of accusations and insults that we experience because we are followers of Jesus. How many of you have ever read or watched Lord of the Rings? Show of hands. Quite a few of you have. In the Lord of the Rings, whether you watched it or whether you read it, you remember that there is the clash of the kingdoms between the Dark Lord Sauron and the hobbits and everyone else. There's some pretty spectacular battles in uh, these rival kingdoms as they clash. And at one point, Sam asked this question, I wonder what sort of tale we have fallen into. I wonder what sort of tale we have fallen into. And for Frodo and for Sam to understand what is happening, they have to get a bigger perspective that they are involved in a clash of kingdoms. And the same is true for us. Whenever you have come underneath the flag of King Jesus. Whenever you are following after him, you have entered into a larger story, and the larger story involves the clash between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of our enemy. So, 
This message, I think, although challenging for us to connect with, maybe you can connect with it this way. This message is incredibly relevant when you think about what does it look like to live on mission for Christ? What does it look like to have answered the call to live on mission for Christ? The mission always entails suffering. Following Jesus always entails challenge and difficulty. The suffering may be severe for some, and it may not be severe for most of us. And it could be that the only thing that you and I face is that we face rejection and hatred whenever we try to tell other people about Jesus. Maybe that's the sum total of the persecution that you've experienced, that you've been put down in your family because you are a Jesus person and they don't want to hear it and they try to shut you down. Or maybe you have been overlooked or maybe you have been let go because you've refused to follow some of the dishonest practices that are a part of the department that you're in that nobody Nobody knows about what is going on there. Or maybe you faced hostility because people think that you're intolerant in a world where tolerance is everything. The closest I ever got to probably real-life persecution is when I went to India with Gary Venable and some others. And we began going to different villages around, and we met with Christians who would gather together oftentimes in homes and not in public because of fear of the radical Hindus who have indeed killed Indian pastors. And we were visiting one place and we were meeting outside and there was this gathering and we were enjoying the worship. And then uh, Janoy, who was our guide, told us we need to go ahead and we need to hurry up and get out of there. And evidently there was coming or who had shown up at this particular gathering some of those radical Hindus and they wanted us to get out of there as quickly as we could. But here's the deal. The more that you and I are on mission for Jesus conspicuously and intentionally, the greater the odds are that we're going to face challenges and persecution. Jesus isn't saying put this on your bucket list, go out and get persecuted. That's not what Jesus is saying, but Jesus is saying this, understand that persecution is inevitable. If you're a follower of Jesus, it's inevitable. Jesus didn't do any bait and switch on us. Jesus was absolutely honest. He says, when they insult you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you, not if, but he said when. And he said it in other places as well. For instance, John 15, 18 through 20, if the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. If you were a part of that kingdom, the world would go, you're one of our own. However, because you're not of the world, because you're of a different kingdom, because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. Remember the word I spoke, a servant is no greater, not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Jesus says, 
Persecution is inevitable. Paul the Apostle, who was, according to tradition, beheaded in Rome because he followed fully Jesus Christ, probably during the reign of Nero, who blamed the burning of Rome on Christians. Paul put it this way in Philippians chapter 1, verse 29. For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. It's a gift, he's saying. You've been given the gift not only to believe in Jesus, but you've also been given this opportunity and this gift, but also to suffer for him. Paul says, the longing of my life is I want to know Jesus. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to be conformed to the likeness of his death. Paul knew that suffering was inevitable. And what Jesus and Paul are talking about when they're talking about inevitable persecution, and I want you to hear this. They're not referring to something that's the result of being offensive or being fanatical or being opinionated. Some Christians are persecuted and insulted and ridiculed because they're abrasive and acidic and they're caustic. And they say they're all doing it for the name of Jesus. You can win people to Jesus with honey a lot better than vinegar. You can speak the words of Jesus with conviction without coming across like you're a jerk. That should have gotten an amen right there. That's, that's what I'm thinking. That's what I'm thinking. We should be cautious anytime we say that we are being persecuted especially in this country, unless we meet the marks that Jesus talks about. And one of the marks is this. Persecution is inevitable because of righteousness. Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Because of it. What does he mean, because of righteousness? You might think about it like this. He's not saying, blessed are you who are persecuted who think you're always right. And don't mind telling everybody. He's talking about people who are so focused on God, who, whose thoughts are Godward, whose life is Godward, who are right with God and who seek to do right in the world and do right by other people. For people who are committed to being right with God and doing right for God, don't be surprised if you are experiencing persecution because of your commitment to what is right and true and good. Paul put it like this, 2 Timothy 3.12. In fact, all who want to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All who want to live a life that is godly. Peter echoed that. Peter was a follower of Jesus. Peter as well, tradition says, was put to death because of his faith. Peter was crucified upside down because he didn't consider himself honorable enough to be crucified the way Jesus was. And so when they were putting him to death, they, he asked to be put to death upside down. He said this, 1 Peter 3, 13 through 17. Who then will harm you if you are devoted to what is good? So generally speaking, if you do what is good and you're devoted to it, who's going to harm you? 
But he says, even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear them or be intimidated, but in your hearts regard Christ as Lord, the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and reverence, keeping a clear conscience so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. What's Peter saying? There's an important distinction when it comes to suffering. Not everything we suffer is necessarily suffering that is appointed to us because we are righteous, because we're doing what is right. Some of the things that we suffer are simply the natural consequences of being unwise. Some of our suffering is the result of really poor decisions that we have made. Some of our suffering is the result of decisions other people have made. No Christian should ever suffer because he or she has done evil. And no Christian should be surprised if you do suffer because you are doing good. Understand that persecution is inevitable because of righteousness. And then second of all, Jesus says, because of a relationship with him. Persecution is inevitable because of a relationship with Jesus. Look again at verse 11. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Now, if you want to make some people squirm in your Wanting to do it in the best sense of the term, just say the name Jesus to people. Have you ever noticed that? Now, one of the things that we've tried to do in our church is to say, in order that the name of Jesus can come off of our lips naturally, we need to speak of Jesus normally in our homes, in our families, with our friends. So that it doesn't feel weird when we say it, but oftentimes when you say the name of Jesus to other people, they get pretty agitated. And I think the reason they get agitated is probably for a couple of reasons. One is because some people don't want to delve into the topic of spirituality or religion. Others, because they understand that the name Jesus goes with the person of Jesus who was unlike anybody who has ever lived. And just the name and person of Jesus confronts us with our own lack of goodness and holiness, and it can make people squirm. Jesus says, don't be surprised if because of me this happens. You get insulted, you get persecuted, and you get false things said about you. During the first three centuries of the church's history, here are the things that Christians were accused of. They were accused of cannibalism, incest, atheism, and general hatred of humanity. Ever heard about that? Accused of cannibalism because people misunderstood our celebration of the Lord's Supper to eat the bread and to drink the cup. We're partaking in Jesus, and they thought early Christians were cannibals. They misunderstood, and then some of them used that misunderstanding when they came to understand it as a way of 
slandering and insulting Christians and putting down the faith. Incest because they would hear Christians speak fondly of each other, even as a husband and wife, as brother and sister. And they thought something crazy was going on. The whole idea of atheism because Christians would not make sacrifice to the pantheon of gods. Christians wouldn't bow a knee to the nation or the leader of the nation, the Caesar, who was considered to be Lord. And so they were considered to be atheists in their day. And they were considered to hate humanity because they wouldn't practice the immoral behaviors, the immoral behaviors that were part of the culture of that time. And so they were considered to hate humanity because they wouldn't participate in what was culturally acceptable. Now again, some of the accusations were because they were misunderstood, but some of them were deliberate distortions of the truth designed to defame believers. Jesus says, do not be surprised if you are persecuted because you are committed to doing what is right and because you believe in me. But he would want us to know something else as well. Persecution is inevitable and we are to rejoice because persecution has an upside. Now, I have to admit, when I wrote that, I thought to myself, now that's a stupid thing to say. Persecution has an upside. Does that sound weird to you? Is that a bit strange? Yeah, I've got a few of you that said, yeah. I mean, I'm assuming that many of you go, that just doesn't sound right at all. Who would say something like that? You know who would say something like that? Jesus. Jesus would say something like that, as would many of the early believers, Christ followers from the very beginning of the church considered being persecuted because of Jesus to be a badge of honor. Listen to what it says in Acts chapter 5, verse 40 through 41. After they called in the apostles, this was the, this was the religious leaders of the day, the the religious court, the Sanhedrin, after they called in the apostles and had them flogged. Let me just pause for a minute. To be flogged wasn't to get a spanking. How many of you ever got a spanking growing up? Hey, I got a spanking. My dad didn't have to do it more than twice because I learned. And it uh, wasn't a beating. It was just a spanking for defiance and disobedience but to be flogged was not a spanking to be flogged was to be beaten about 39 times with a cane until your back bled and there were open wounds there and so the apostles were called in and they were flogged they were beaten close to death simply because of their faith in Jesus. They ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and release them. What did they do? Look at what it says. Then they went out from the presence of the Sanhedrin doing what? Rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to be treated shamefully on behalf of the name. 
Now, maybe what you're thinking is, when Luke wrote this, he had spent some time talking to the apostles, and they were reflecting years back on what took place. Yeah, you know, after looking back over a period of time, we can rejoice in what happened to us then. No, the idea was that while the blood was still wet on their back, while the lacerations were still stinging and the pain was pulsating, they left that experience rejoicing that they had been considered honorable enough to be treated that way because of Jesus. <coughs> Some people believe that suffering and hardships are the result of being out of the will of God, but not these believers. <laughs> they believed that suffering and hardship were the result of being smacked down in the middle of God's mission for their life. They considered it worthy to be dishonored in public because of Jesus. Historians would tell you that the way Christians responded to persecution the suffering into death was one of the ways in which Christianity undermined paganism in the Roman Empire of their day. Now, how do we respond to persecution and suffering? Would a non-believing world look at the way that we respond to it and see it as something that was so appealing and so countercultural to the way that our society lives that they would say, I want what you guys have. I want to enter into what it is that you guys believe. Whatever it is, that is transformative, and I have to know more and more about that. Rejoice because persecution has an upside, and what's the upside? The upside is that it's proof that you're a follower of Christ. It was one of the evidences that you truly were one of Jesus' followers. Jesus is blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. The rule and reign of Christ is present in your life so much so that this kind of behavior would lead to this kind of experience of persecution, a willingness to stay true to Jesus regardless of what comes your way is evidence that you truly do have a faith. When you're persecuted, when you undergo trials and difficulties, Paul would say this, you are simply participating in the sufferings that Christ experienced. And as you suffer inevitably, you come to a greater understanding of the kind of suffering that Jesus Christ went through on our behalf in order to rescue us from our sin and from our despair. If somebody is persecuting you, Jesus would say, it's not because they hate you, it's because they hate me and you're connected to me. Rejoice. Rejoice in persecution because it has an upside. It proves that you're a Christ follower. Second of all, it produces mature faith. And if you're a follower of Jesus for any point in time in your life, there is this desire that I want, I want there to be more substance to who I am as a person. I want my faith to be stronger. I want my witness to be more uh, 
winsome. I want there to be a greater degree of resoluteness in my life so that I'm not blown around, around by all of the things that happen in this world. And the Bible is saying, listen, whenever you go through persecution, it has a purpose. And the purpose is that you are gold in the making. That God is in the process of refining you because he wants to be able to see his face whenever he looks at your life, see a reflection of Jesus in us because we have been purified by the very challenges that we face. James, one of the first followers of Jesus, also was martyred for his faith, said this in James 1, 2 through 4, Consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, various testings. Why? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Similarly, Peter put it like this, 1 Peter 1, 6 through 7. You rejoice in this. Even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials so that the proven character of your faith more valuable than gold, which though perishable is refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Whenever a teacher gives us a test in school, the teacher is wanting to test how well we are doing. But when we are tried and tested, when we are tried and tested by insults that are cast against us, evil things done and said to us because of righteousness, because of faith, it's for the purpose of us knowing how we are doing. A trial proves who we are. It proves who we trust. It proves the validity of our faith. The truth is this. You don't know what your faith is made of until you've experienced difficulty until you've experienced rejection until you've experienced put downs until you've experienced people harassing you because of your trust in Jesus Jesus said here's the upside again you are gold in the making your faith is being proved and tested and the final thing to rejoice about is that the upside is that it promises a great reward from God Be glad, verse 12, and rejoice because your reward in heaven is great. For that's how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I mean, we stand in a long line of folks from the Old Testament through the New Testament all the way through church history of people who have been persecuted because of righteousness' sake and persecuted because of Jesus. And Jesus says, in the imperative Choose to be glad and rejoice because you know that something greater is ahead of you. I like what Charles Quarles said. He said this, the severity of the penalty suffered for faithfulness to Jesus will be offset by the enormity of the reward enjoyed in heaven. The severity of the difficulty will be superseded by the enormity of the reward. Any insult that you face because of righteousness and because of Jesus will pale in comparison to the affirmation from the Father when he says to you, well done, my good and faithful servant. 
Any rejection will be replaced with the open-armed embrace and acceptance of the crucified and risen Jesus when he says, welcome home, my son and my daughter. Any physical harm will be replaced by eternal bliss and a glorious new resurrection body. Paul put it like this, Romans 8, 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. Amen. Amen. Let me close with this story. Karen Watson from Bakersfield, California was 38 years old, a one-time jail officer who was a part of Valley Baptist Church. She sensed that God wanted her to change her profession and become a missionary in Iraq. And so she went through all of the necessary things to pursue that kind of calling on her life. And she ended up going to Iraq on mission for Jesus with the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention of Churches. Sold her home, sold all of her possessions. March the 4th, or March the 15th, 2004, she was riding in a car in the northern Iraqi city of Mosul when attackers wielding AK-47s killed her and other occupants in the car. When she went to Iraq, she knew that there was the possibility that she would die on account of Christ, and so she had written the letter, and she had given it to her pastor before she ever left to go on the mission field. And the letter began like this. You're only reading this letter if I died. And then after some gracious words to her family and to her friends, there was this simple summary of following Christ. To obey was my objective. To suffer was expected. His glory, my reward. To obey was my objective. Suffering was to be expected. His glory, my reward. Karen Watson, along with countless other followers of Jesus, have suffered because they loved Jesus more than life. And they knew despite what might happen to them, there would be a great reward awaiting them. And so they simply followed Jesus. They simply followed Jesus' example. And the Bible says that Jesus willingly suffered on our behalf, who for the joy set before him endured the cross and despised any shame that it might have brought until he finally sat down at the right hand of authority and power by the Father. Jesus, the Bible says, 
was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And that was intentional, and that was purposeful for you and for me. There's a sense in which you and I are Jesus' greatest reward when we have put our trust in him. And so he simply beckons us to follow him. I don't want anybody to suffer. I don't want anybody listening to me to suffer. I don't want to suffer. But here's the truth. All who intend to live a godly life will experience it. All who are devoted to doing what is right and those who are devoted to the person of Jesus will experience this but not without great reward. Let's pray. God, I readily admit that this passage is difficult for me personally because I've, I've not experienced much of this at all, if any. I've had my share of some insults and some rejection and some put-downs and some avoidance and some name-calling but I've not resisted to the point of blood or death. And there have been times that I have simply walked away rather than standing firm for Jesus. God, I also confess that there have been times that I have experienced put-downs because I have been coarse and I have been opinionated and I have not born witness to Jesus with reverence and gentleness. God, we as a church want to pray for our brothers and sisters, 370 million of them right now who are undergoing all kinds of intense threats against their life, whether that is in China or whether that is in Iran or Iraq or North Korea or Nigeria. There are people all around the world that are facing brutality simply because they have refused to bow a knee to anybody other than King Jesus. And we pray that you would protect them and we pray that you would encourage them and we pray that you would continue to give them strength. We pray that they would be reminded of all the things that we've talked about today. I pray that their witness would cause the gospel to expand like it always has. God, it seems to be that wherever there is persecution, the, the church explodes, expands, Christianity spreads. And I don't want to pray that we would be persecuted, God, for that reason, but I do pray that you would help us to be more bold for our faith so that people can come to know you. And if you're in agreement with this prayer, would you say amen? Hey, I'm really glad that you came and you endured my... That was an incredible message. I hope that you are blessed by our time spent in worship and the message today. We are so thankful that you chose to join us today. But the time goes by so quickly. Will you head over to pleasantvalley.org connect and fill out that form for us? That'll help us know how we can come alongside you and serve you. We are so glad that you joined us today and we want you to know that you are loved by God. We hope to see you next week.